Yes, I am Ivan Stewart, member here at First Family. Uh, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer and jump right in, if that's okay with everyone. Father, indeed, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the rain. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. I'm so thankful for everyone that's here to hear this message this morning. Thankful for this ministry, Lord, and the resources they provide and the people who volunteer their time to serve here, Lord God. We're so thankful for those people who are your hands and feet. Lord, I pray for your grace as we go through your word this morning, Lord God. And I know at times the the message can be hard, Lord, it can be stern, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that I am never an offense to anyone, Lord God, but that if there is an offense, that it be from your word, Lord, and that that offense would soften the heart that um, would cause a soul to yearn to be made right with Christ. So, Lord, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right. So, um, there's much talk in our society regarding this idea of justice. When something wrong happens, we want it to be made right. So, for example, if someone were to steal $1,000 from you, right, you would likely want it back because it's yours and it's $1,000. Now, if someone took $1,000 from you, and they try to make it right by giving you $500 back and said we're even, most of you would likely find that to be problematic. Why? Because it's not just, right? Something's off. The weight's off here. I had $1,000. You gave me back $500, right? This is this concept of justice. So if you've seen the statues or pictures of Lady Justice, uh, it's on Supreme Court buildings. It's on law books and things like that. Lady Justice is typically holding a sword in her right hand scales in her left and if you look at lady justice her eyes are either closed or some pictures have her she has a a blindfold going around her head so she can't see and what she's typically doing is balancing the scales um the idea there right is uh she's being impartial the only thing she's concerned with is justice is balancing it making everything that was wrong once wrong right so no matter an individual's race, their cultural ethnicity, or their economic status, etc., 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 when justice is being enacted, for justice to truly be justice and fair, doesn't matter who you are, we're just looking at the situation and the circumstances. If you turn on the TV, look in the newspaper, you'll always read or hear about some famous court case, some crime that occurred, some talk from the district attorney's office, some politician taking on current laws or policy. I actually remember when I was in the fifth grade, literally us stopping school to watch the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Everybody was concerned with justice, preoccupied. I mean, that was like probably one of the biggest uh, trials on television in my lifetime. All right, in your own home, if you're dealing with uh, disobedient children or family issues, right? A lot of times you're trying to figure out how to enact some form of justice, right? If your child disobeys, you're like, how do I provide some sort of correction to this behavior. So this idea of law and justice is embedded in the nature of man. It's embedded in us because we are created in the image of God. And from the beginning, we're commanded to take dominion, which means rule or authority. Um, And to have rule or authority means there must be some law, someone's morality. It is an inevitable fact. So today we're going to talk about this biblical concept of justification. And I'll be reading from Romans 3, 21 to 31. Um, But first, I'll give a little bit of background on the book of Romans. So the book of Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome. 
Paul begins the letter with a greeting and identifies himself as a bondservant. The Greek word there actually is doulos, which means slave. Paul identifies himself as a slave to Christ. He also identifies himself as an apostle, one who's sent by Christ. Now, why do I mention that? Why is that important to us? Paul first says he's a slave and he's an apostle. He's sent by Christ himself. So when we're reading the Bible, when we're talking about this book of Romans, these aren't Paul's, this isn't Paul's opinion. This isn't something that Paul just said, you know, this is a good idea. Paul has, in fact, again, identified himself as a slave and an apostle of Christ. So these are God's words to his church, right? So this is as if God himself is speaking. Many of you have children. You might tell the oldest to go tell the youngest to do something. You'll say, hey, tell your brother to clean his room. So when he speaks to a sibling, it's not as if he's speaking on his own accord, but it's actually as if you were to say it yourself. Hopefully that makes sense. Chapter 1, Paul begins the letter with a greeting. He identifies himself, excuse me, double rolling over my notes here. Chapter 1, when you go into chapter 1, he starts with a greeting. And as you go into a little bit further in chapter 1, in verse 17, there's a very popular verse there. It says, the just shall live by faith. Paul's actually quoting the Old Testament in Habakkuk verse 2 and 4. And we're going to come back to that. That's why I mention it. Um, This verse is important. Um, It made the light switch come on in the mind of the great reformer Martin Luther. Uh, during the Protestant Reformation, uh, and we'll touch on that a little bit later as well. Uh, But there was something that clicked for him when he read that verse. So Paul goes on in chapter 1, he continues to discuss how God's wrath abides on the unrighteous and how they're condemned and in need of God's righteousness. In chapter 2, Paul discusses the unrighteousness, particularly of the Jews, and how law-keeping, religious activities and such, could not save them. See, certain Jews believe that their traditions made them better than Gentiles. A Gentile is simply someone who is not Jewish. And Paul, essentially, in chapter 2, squashes that argument. He says, your religious activities don't make you right before God. Go on to chapter 3, which is where we're going to be reading from. Paul continues with the deep radical issue of sin and its consequences for all humanity. So he pretty much from one to three levels the playing field and points out how all humanity is guilty uh, before God. So hopefully that background gives us a little insight into the text that we're going to read today. So without further ado, Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law or is god the god of the jews only is he not the god of the gentiles also yes of the gentiles also since god is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith do we then overthrow the law by this faith by no means on the contrary we uphold the law 
So in this series of verses that I just read to you, justification, this idea of justification is mentioned clearly in verses 24, 26, 28, and 30. So we go to verse 24, it tells us how. It says we are justified by grace as a gift. If we go to verse 26, it tells us who he, Christ, might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith. Verse 28 tells us our works add nothing to our justification. And that's a uh, important point that we'll elaborate on a little bit further. One is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Verse 30, since God has justified us, does the law still apply? God is the one who justifies us. Verse 30, verse 31, do we then get rid of this law? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. So, big question. What is this doctrine of justification? So catechism answered, justification is an act of God's free grace where he pardons all of our sins. So justification is a legal declaration which pardons a person from the guilt and penalty of their sin. This is an act where God pronounces a sinner to be righteous. So essentially a person goes from guilty to not guilty. And if you remember when I, when I was going through the overview in Romans 1, 2, and 3, all of humanity, every person, no one is born innocent, everyone is born guilty before God. So this doctrine of justification is important to us. So I want you guys to think of like a court, right? In the beginning, I mentioned this idea in the introduction of justice. All of humanity stands before God guilty. Guilty of what? Violating the law of God, which is the definition of sin, right? Sin is any one of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Whenever you break God's law, that is sin. So, if you're not a Christian, if you have not put your faith in Christ, each day your sins, your violations against the holy God stack up and there's nothing that can be done to repay them. There's nothing that you can achieve to make yourself right. There's no religious activity you can do. And I mean no religious activity you can do, none. It doesn't matter if you say Hail Marys. It doesn't matter if you have a special prayer. It doesn't matter if you give to the poor. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing in your performance that you can do to appease the wrath of God. There's nothing about you. There's nothing in life you can gain. There's not one iota of favor that you can bring to the table that will add or contribute to your salvation. Now, when you hear that, that should sound pretty brief. That is bad news. That is the bad news. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that any person can do. There's no statue you can buy for the church. There's no indulgences that can be taken in order to achieve favor with God. So, this is important. This is the great divide that occurred regarding the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation. Now, what's interesting is the Catholic Church did not deny the reality of faith, but it was faith plus. Again, I'll say that it was faith plus that was embraced. Faith and you still need to do your part. Faith, you add something. Faith, you bring something to the table. Where Luther stood his ground against the Roman Catholic Church and much controversy was generated over a small five-letter word. You know what that word was? Alone. It was faith alone. Faith in Christ alone is what makes men right before God. And if we preach another gospel, we in fact become enemies of the gospel itself. So if we tweak the gospel, if we do faith plus, we have actually become enemies of the gospel that we proclaim. Anyone that preaches another gospel is accursed. Galatians 1.8. So in court, you have a prosecutor, right? If you ever go to a courtroom, you have a prosecutor. A prosecutor is the person that brings the charges against you. And then you have the defense. The defense is um, 
the defense is the one who would rebuttal or try to have a response against those charges that's being presented by the prosecution. So when God brings his charges, again, remember, justification is a legal declaration. When God brings his charges, all your sins, every sin that you've committed against you, there is no argument. There is no rebuttal. Before the law of God, all, capital A-L-L, all mouths are closed. That's Romans 3.19. We didn't read that verse, but it's there. Well, that's what the law does. It stops the mouth. So in court, you have an opportunity to defend yourself. In court, you have an opportunity to rebuttal, to say you weren't there. But when it comes to the court of heaven with God, and he comes as law, you have no argument. There's no question that you're a sinner. So you, the defense, have no rebuttal. That's what it means for all mouths to be closed. God will prosecute. He will prosecute perfectly, and the verdict will undoubtedly be guilty. Paul labored over that over the first three verses of Roman, and as we just read in 23, for all, A-L-L, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's wrath will be poured out on the unbeliever for all eternity. Perfect justice. So that's important to know, right? Because God doesn't send people to hell because he's a meanie, but rather because he's just. He's an acting justice. He's not just arbitrarily doing this, right? He's being good. You'd want a judge to be good. You would be upset if someone you loved came into a courtroom um, that had a crime committed against them, and the judge just said, ah, oh, it's no big deal. I don't want to be a meaning today. I don't feel like an act of justice. That would not be a, a just judge, right? You would want him to enact justice. That's why we have the picture of Lady Justice, right? Balancing the scales, no respecter of persons, carrying the sword to enact justice. Justice is a good thing. So the only way... To be made right with God is by Christ's works. Not your works, but Christ's works. Christ was born under the law, Galatians 4.4, and obeyed it perfectly. And God poured his wrath out on Christ so that whoever believes can be justified. That is how he's the just and justifier. Remains just and can justify. This is what Christ being crucified on the cross is all about. Jesus gets treated, for lack of a better word, as if he lived my life. And when I put my faith in him, I get treated as if I lived his life. That's good news. That's very good news. Just saying that just sends a chill down my spine, thinking about how good Christ is. Now, I say faith alone, and I have to say this, but not faith that is alone. So if you say, Brother Ivan, I believe. Well, do you? You have to ask yourself, is there evidence of your faith, right? Are you looking to Christ alone for your salvation? Do you have the Holy Spirit living and working in you? Do you love other Christians? Are you committed to a local church that you attend? And I'm not talking about TV. TV is not church. That does not count. A local body. Do you humbly approach and desire God's word? Or do you use it when it's convenient for you? We see this a lot on TV, right? People thank God or used scriptures when it's convenient for them do you actually humbly approach the word and want the word to conform you to the image of christ do you have spiritual understanding and discernment can you tell the difference between the message you've heard today and a joel olstein message if not there may be a problem are you pro-choice or pro-abortion there may be a problem if you can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl there may be a problem those who love god keep his commandments, John 14, 15. And when we disobey God and fall into sin, because we will, we should be grieved. So there should be a response two ways there, right? We should desire to obey God's law, and inevitably we won't. If you're a Christian, 
you're not going to live a perfect life, but when you disobey, are you grieved over it? Does it bother you or are you just comfortable in your sin? And these are just to name a few. There's countless frauds of the faith. There are countless people that profess Christ and they're frauds. So it's important that we examine ourselves to ensure that we are in the faith. This faith should produce something in us. So bringing it closer to a close here. If you determine today that you are not trusting in Christ alone and stand guilty before God, if you believe God's guillotine still remains over your head, the call is simple. Repent, put your faith and only your faith in Christ. The moment you put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Every one of them, past, present, and future. If you are his, then the law that you once walked in disobedience to, you should now love and obey, not to be saved, but because you are saved, right? So, my friends, this is the, this is the fruit of the good news that we're talking about, right? You can't have the fruit without the root, which is Christ. Christ is the root. You put your faith in Christ, it should inevitably spring up fruit in your life. So I told you I would tell you about we bring bring it back to Martin Luther. So the thing that clicked in Martin Luther was he understood that being reconciled to God, being back in right relationship with God, being justified and declared righteous by God was not something that man could achieve, but it was only something that could be received by faith and faith alone. Amen. Amen. All right. Let us pray. Father, indeed, Lord. I am so grateful that Christ is the just and justifier of our faith, Lord. There's nothing that we can do except put our faith in him, Lord. And that faith will inevitably produce fruit in our lives, Lord. We should be changed forever, Lord. So, Father, I'm so thankful for this truth, for this doctrine, this hard truth, Lord, that we, it's not flattering, that we are born guilty, that we are born sinners, Lord, that we constantly deceive ourselves. So many people say they're in the faith when they're not, Lord God. And Father, I pray today if that if anyone here that is in that condition or anyone that has not realized their guilt, Lord, that they would come to the cross, Lord, that they would indeed put their faith in faith alone because you are sure to forgive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.